Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Digital Switch uh, Show. <laughs> it's important to mention the dot show part, right, Sonia? How are you? Yes, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. So uh, we're all still in lockdown and uh, living the life. Um, uh, I think uh, it's kind of interesting because you know, there's a lot of discussion about the financial markets and, and of course, these conversations we're having in our podcast in the last couple of months have a lot to do with some of the things that went on in 2008. And so I'm really excited because I think it uh, it not only gives people a, a little bit of a perspective into some of the things that happened in the past and the last time that we experienced some kind of a financial uh, up or down, mostly down, obviously, but uh but it kind of gives us an opportunity to talk about what we do as well. So uh, with that said, uh, Sonia, do you want to kind of give us a quick intro of what we're talking about or what we have on the call? Absolutely. So we are really excited to welcome back Raghu Rao, who is Piernova's VP of Business Development. Raghu, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sonia. Hi, Nareed. I figure we'll just jump right into it. So previously, um, Raghu, we spoke with Harpal and discussed BCBS 239, which is this regulation that really focuses on financial institutions and how they can better anticipate, manage, and assess their risk. So today we are going to focus on another regulatory requirement um, called CCAR, CCAR, the Comprehensive Capital Analysis and Review. This centers on financial institutions having enough capital reserves to deal with a crisis like the one in 2008, 2009, and even now. So, Raghu, it would be great if you could quickly kind of walk our listeners through what exactly is CCAR. Sure, Sonia. Uh, PCA, PSA, uh, PCA, lots of acronyms. PSA, Public Service Announcement, as we get started. You know, we use, we'll use a lot of acronyms today, CCAR, GCFD, FAST, so it's going to be one of these acronyms FAST. CCAR, as you pointed out, Sonia, stands for Comprehensive Capital Analysis and Review. And this is something that's conducted by the, the Federal Reserve in the United States. So this is an, uh, a U.S. Uh, thing, an American thing. And uh, there are uh, a list of banks uh, or financial institutions that kind of go through this process. And uh, these banks generally fall into what's called the GSIB category, which is a globally systemically important bank, as in these banks are too big to fail, as you know, as some of us know, you know, these have been described as. And so, you know, and these GSIBs are, you know, banks that uh, that do business in the U.S. that are subject to this uh, this kind of review. Uh, so, you know, Harpal and you know, you folks talked about uh, BCBS previously. Uh, you know, that was more qualitative in nature, and that talked about you know internal processes that financial institutions have to go through. CCAR is a little bit different. Um, CCAR is much more stringent, much more rigorous. There's a quantitative aspect to it. There's a qualitative aspect to it. And it was started, as you pointed out, post, uh, you know, 2008, 2009 crisis. You know, so it started around 2010 um, as sort of an annual review. And now I believe it's, uh, it's twice a year and, and it's, it's evolving quite a bit as well. And uh, what it tries to do is make sure that, you know, it ensures that these uh, large financial institutions have enough capital, have enough uh, processes in place. So if there's a downturn, uh, economic or financial downturn, you can uh, survive that. Um, and uh, and so, you know, it tests the capital planning. It tests, uh, you know, how capital is being allocated, how 
the company processes and the risk models are um, uh, are in place and how stable they are. Uh, and then uh, what really happens in this review and process is the the banks itself run these tests, and then the Federal Reserve has an army of folks that actually run this test. They build their own models uh, based on what they know, and they run these tests, and you kind of have to have this uh, matching thing that happens and make sure that they both agree with the firm and the Fed agrees, and then um, at the end of this, you know, these uh, are published to the, you know, these are published um, and, uh, you know, generally assures everybody, the common public that, you know, these um, banks are healthy and that their dollars are protected when uh, things like uh, what we're going through happens, you know, like COVID-19. Um, and uh, just in terms of process very quickly, you know, these rules get updated every year. It's a, it's a live thing, um, you know, as conditions change, as the state of the economy, the macro environment, all of these change, the rules get updated, who qualifies, who doesn't, um, all of these are kind of up for review on a yearly basis. Um, and, you know, this has gone on, you know, started in 2010. It's gone on for about 10 years now. And I think, you know, things have converged. There's probably times in the beginning where, you know, firms failed this and had to go through a retest and, you know, all kinds of, you know, things that they had to rectify within the bank itself. But uh, things have stabilized to the point where, you know, if you look at last year, 2019 uh, process, you know, all of the banks that were part of this uh, passed the uh, the review. And uh, just to talk about, you know, for this year, 2020, you know, this process is underway um, and the results get published at the end of June. And uh, for this year, for example, what the Fed said is, you know, there's sort of three qualifiers for a financial institution to, to be part of this. It needs to be $250 billion or more in sort of average assets, non-bank assets to be $75 billion or more, and then it needs to be a, a U.S. A GCIB company, a U.S. Uh, systemically important bank company that's, you know, do, that's doing business in the U.S. There's other banks, other parts of the world that don't do uh, business in the U.S. that are not part of this. And uh, when you think about uh, C car and you step back a little bit, right? And you step back behind the curtain. You know, C car is sort of part of you know this stress testing regime that started you know post uh, 2008 crisis. And what we're seeing now is that stress tests are now not just for these large banks, but even medium-sized regional banks, even credit unions now are asking. You know, the credit unions association is asking their members to go through this. And if you look around the world. If you look at Europe, for example, Europe is requiring that all of the banks in all of these uh, member countries, and uh, same in UK, um, have to go through this. If you look at Asia, you look at Japan, you look at other countries, um, a lot of the banks are required to go through some kind of testing. Uh, it's not the same kind of testing as CCAR, but what's clear is, you know, if you're doing business with these financial institutions, you need to understand that, you know, all of these folks are doing some kind of stress testing and. Uh, and to the extent that you can build platforms and technologies that are just those, you know, that's great. Thank you for that uh, great introduction, Raghu. So I'm, I'm going to try to unpack. Uh, you gave us a lot of great points there. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because we hear this uh, a lot regarding this current outbreak that a, you know, I think um, uh, one of the WHO officials uh, recently said something that, uh, 
kind of applies to this. They said that a problem somewhere is a problem everywhere. Have you heard that? Um, you know, meaning that if there was a problem in one little part of the world with regards to this infection, of course, the whole world is is in a bit of a crisis now. Kind of the same thing applies here, doesn't it? And I know you mentioned that these uh, this particular regulation applies to GSIPs that are in the U.S. However, it is very rare to find a bank today that's not somehow tied to the entire global uh, banking framework. Is that fair? That's absolutely true. And and that's why I think what folks around the world, regulators around the world have recognized and banks have recognized that, you know, it's all they're all interconnected in one way or the other. And that, you know, it's not just the the large banks, the GCIFs that need to get tested. It's really everybody is part of this and everybody needs to go through some kind of stress testing uh, to make sure that, you know, these are healthy and um, and uh, you know we if we run into scenarios like just like the one we're going through that we come out of this and you know the financial system stays you know solid and healthy and uh, um, helping uh, the general public. So Raghu, since the inception of CCAR, financial institutions are continuing to improve their stress testing and capital planning processes in preparation for the time that we're going through through right now. So. I'm curious, they still do face obstacles in meeting CCAR requirements very often. What are some of these key challenges um, that these financial institutions are facing? Sure, Sonia. So we've, we've talked to, you know, quite a few clients of ours, you know, these large banks and, you know, talked to them about, you know, CCAR and stress testing and, you know, what are some of the challenges that they're seeing? The first thing, you know, that they talk about is data quality and integrity, having clean data. Um, and you know banks uh, continue to face face issues with this. They are uh, you know struggling with uh, most likely manual processes in a lot of places for you know to do data prep, cleansing, gathering, and with lots of resources, both internal and external, that they use to to make that happen. And if you look at CCAR specifically, you know formatting the data, getting the data to align with you know, the the formats uh, that the Federal Reserve requires, you know, usually means lots of staff working with, you know, deadlines, um, you know, and, and with lots of these requirements trying to make sure that, you know, this, this part of it gets done. So, uh, you know, banks clearly, you know, the ones that are subject to these have no choice but to make these investments. So um, what they're looking for is a way to make this process somewhat easier, um, you know, less manual, um, and to be able to do this with less resources and to be, you know, a little bit more cost efficient. Um, and, you know, the the risk models that are part of these uh, testing, right, they're a critical part of this. And, uh, and banks, again, uh, use up a lot of resources to be able to, you know, put these together. And really, when you look at you know, risk modeling and risk management, you know, that's very dependent on data. We keep coming back to data because it's having good data is critically important. Otherwise, you don't really have a risk model that's worth anything. And any report that comes out of that is not going to be credible. So uh, to summarize, you know, the data quality and integrity is sort of the first thing that they tell us is extremely critical. I'll go through a couple more. Uh, second challenge they face is, you know, internal audit controls and processes. And, you know, there's expectations that, you know, regulators have an expectation that they have, you know, really robust uh, frameworks and processes in place. So having good governance uh, around data and processes is very important. Third thing that 
you know, you hear about from, you know, clients that we talk to is, you know, having the expertise, uh, the SMEs, uh, the talent to be able to build these models, um, the risk management, risk modeling uh, part of this uh, to, to be able to meet these uh, requirements. So, um, and again, this is not a one-time thing. You don't, you know, you don't build something and you get done because the requirements are constantly changing. And so it's something that you're doing year round. Um, and so banks have to, you know, get much more sophisticated at building these and to make sure that they're in compliance. Uh, a fourth thing is around, you know, transparency of just about everything of data, of processes, of workflows. And so when, uh, you know, what banks talk about, what our clients talk about is when you have issues with these and you, you, you run into these as you go through the review process, you will find that things don't make sense and you have to, discuss among, you know, multiple governance committees, you have operating committees that are part of this process, and, you know, all the way up to the board of directors, because the board of directors ultimately has to certify that, you know, this is good to go before you uh, go to the Fed. So transparency, you know, of all of these things that we talked about, data, processes, workflows, is is really key in all of these, uh, you know, four challenges that I talked about. Um so I think, you know, and we've said this on the show many times in the past, that data is really the, the common denominator here, right? So, yeah. you know, if, if they have unreliable data or data with data quality challenges, then, of course, um, you know, it's kind of a, it, it's, it's not something that you can just easily fix. You have to address the root cause of the problem. And so, you know, obviously what we do is sort of we're, we're trying to establish an effective data governance framework with our platform. Um, and I wonder to kind of just bring this back with respect to uh, what the platform does itself. I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about how do these enterprises essentially build an effective data governance that serves them uh, when it comes to, again, for instance, in this case, complying with CCAR? Sure, Naveed. So, like you said, you know, um, data is the most, you know, foundationally the most important part of, uh, you know, any organization. And, you know, we call it the lifeblood of these uh, institutions. Um, and so having that, you know, being taken care of, having that being done with the highest quality is extremely critical. The, the most effective approach, you know, to seek our compliance is making sure that you have the, you know, the best data management and data governance, right? And in terms of practices, policies, and processes. So we've, uh, you know, we've talked to our clients quite a bit in the past few years on what specifically that we need to solve, you know, that isn't being done today. Um, and so there's, there's four things that they've told us. You know, the first one is end-to-end uh, data quality across the workflow. So what uh, what clients have told us is they're not able to measure end-to-end data quality today for workflows. Um, and this is across, uh, you know, the data silos that they have across lines of businesses and across the, the applications. So what we've done with, you know, PureNova's active governance data platform is uh, making sure that data quality and, you know, process or timeliness rules are perpetually run on the live data, uh, actual business data. Um, and so this provides you with an end-to-end lineage and visibility and transparency. You can quickly identify, you know, if you have any data quality process issues, you're constantly measuring these and correcting these, you know, either upstream or downstream, you know, systems. So that's, that's the first aspect of this. 
The second one that clients have told us with respect to solving specific problems is, you know, you have these siloed organizations and lines of businesses and, uh, and capturing institutional knowledge and expertise, you know, across the workflow is critical. And in the case of CCAR, for example, there's only a few individuals within a bank um, a lot of times that really understand the reg requirements as they're changing. So you have issues with uh, documentation, you have issues with reporting. And uh, what we could do with the Kinoform platform is really give you the ability to, you know, uh, for all the processes and expertise, the actions that you're taking with, uh, you know, other workflow and case management tools with exception processing, all of that can be captured as part of the end-to-end lineage. So everything is there and you can look at it. You can, you know, gain additional insights into it. And in the future, you can go back and, you know, fix these systemically. The third problem that they wanted us to solve was, you know, when you have these metadata repositories today, these are mostly static. They tend to be, you know, different from the actual business processes. So there's always a drift between, you know, what's in the metadata repositories and the data glossaries, dictionaries, et cetera. And, and they don't really work on the actual business data or the workflows. So what Pyrnovus, you know, Cuneiform platform does is it automates the generation of, you know, metadata rules and repositories across the workflows. So the, the drift is gone and you have, you know, you have the platform itself becoming the metadata and the repository tool. Um, so capturing, you know, metadata rules, um, business rules, execution of uh, the business rules, what is being executed, et cetera. The, the fourth thing that we talk about, you know, that they've asked us to solve is, you know, around flexibility, interoperability. Um, so if you look at CCAR, for example, the CCAR reviews have evolved over the years and now testing, you know, used to be once a year. Now it's uh, monthly, quarterly, annually. So this is a year-round exercise, you know, that happens with CCAR. And so what you really need is an agile, you know, development process. So something that is flexible, adaptable. Um, and, uh, you know, as circumstances change, you're able to adjust, uh, you know, to these uh, changing conditions. So what uh, Cuneiform platform does is be is able to integrate, you know, with existing tools, applications, and infrastructure very well. They have a, a completely API-driven model. So we're able to connect to external tools, internal tools, case management tools, um, all these tools uh, seamlessly. And... Uh, and we also provide a platform where, you know, you could essentially do a self-serve way of implementing, you know, new lineages, new business rules. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have a GUI-based uh, approach, implementation approach where, you know, code gets generated underneath. Um, so you can have uh, data business analysts, um, SMEs that actually understand data, be able to use the platform and be able to implement these, uh, put these together. So with... Uh, with our active governance data platform, we've addressed all four of these issues that, you know, they've said are most critical, you know, to be able to uh, to address CCAR and, you know, other types of uh, regulatory and compliance and other governance uh, problems that they're looking into. Thank you for that uh, uh, thorough explanation, Raghu. That was very, very helpful. I think, you know, as we've said before, again, good data and good quality data is essentially at the heart of an effective data governance, right? And so we believe that our platform is uniquely suited for this. Um, not only do we have 
an active data governance approach or framework to this whole thing, meaning that dictionaries, glossaries, and and the like are, are sort of generated automatically. Um, and therefore the data that people are working on is not necessarily stale at any point, but also I think our approach has been um, it, quite different. And it's, you know, I know today we're talking about CCAR and being able to comply to CCAR's uh, sort of requirements and, and so on and so forth, but this goes way beyond that. I think if if organization enterprises particularly able to address the data quality challenges then of course they'll be able to address many other needs uh aside from this one particular compliance but uh i just want to mention that uh Raghu, you had uh, uh written a phenomenal piece uh on our blog um which uh, listeners can simply go to resources.peernova.com or just go to peernova.com and click on resources uh, the article title is called CCAR, How to Solve Compliance Challenges with Effective Data Governance. Um, and it basically summarizes uh, the discussion we had today. Uh, but uh, Raghu, again, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, jump on this uh, episode with us. Thanks, Navid. Thanks, Sonia. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Digital Switch. You can find us on your favorite podcast streaming service or on digitalswitch.show. Stay up to date on podcast episodes, blog posts, and all things Purenova at purenova.com and at Purenova Inc. on Twitter. Have a great week, everyone, and stay healthy.